Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 1234 in Edmonton. Two consecutive Oilers game days. It's been far too long since we could say that. It is Brendan Escott with you today. Bob Stoffer up in the air with the team as they make their way over to Winnipeg. Yes, they got an airport there. And when they touch down, they'll be taking on the 0-1 Jets. They fell on Sunday 3-2 in overtime to the Ottawa Senators. Bit of a different story there from how things have started off this year for the Oilers. We'll chat with Reed Wilkins momentarily. I think Wilkie's, uh, he's one of the lucky guys who gets a gift certificate to Roos Chris Steakhouse from Oilers now. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. Well, Reed, typically we'd be sitting right beside each other. Last night you had the uh, uh, a bit of a different view at the game. But nevertheless, we saw the same on-ice product. Firstly, how good did Seattle's uniforms look? Secondly, how, did the Oilers, how good did the Oilers look against Seattle, who, yes, didn't necessarily dress uh, you know, the same kind of lineup, but a 6-0 scoreline is still something to be happy about. Okay, first of all, that bit with the uh, Winnipeg Airport by the guys over at Oilers Nation has to be one of the best online, well, not really a prank, but just online bits that they kept following through with ever because it reached the point where uh, many people either believe that A, Winnipeg doesn't have an airport or that B, the Oilers flew to Fargo, North Dakota and <laughs> bust to Winnipeg for that game. That was the year they went to Europe, came back. Uh, I think they played the boston and the rangers and then they had a bit of a gap before they played winnipeg so they came to edmonton before they flew back to winnipeg and uh that's uh, that's somehow all that all started that they were going to fly to fort fargo north dakota and bust to winnipeg okay i did i didn't like the seattle white uniforms quite frankly Are I, you I like kidding? the blue ones wow I, I don't like those white ones as much I, I don't like the lighter blue i don't know if it's exactly teal but I, I just found it almost distracting and, and quite frankly, sort of weak looking. Huh. I, I, lo- I love the dark blue. I didn't like the white as much. Obviously, the dark blue is going to be more of their identity, but I didn't find the, the white ones as nearly as striking or as confident looking as the, uh, as the blue jerseys. But really, wear whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, jer- jerseys are, I mean, they're a, a distraction, and I guess teams can make money off them. But, uh, you know, if you, you could wear whatever you want, if you got a good team, people mm-hmm. are going to remember the quality of the team and not the quality of the jerseys, unless it's something completely atrocious and offensive <laughs> to the eye, like the Arizona Coyotes multicolored the jerseys with the uh, the oddly shaped coyote on it. Or, or there, I mean, there have been some great the jerseys over the years. I, I would only agree with you in that sense on that purple alternate that they had. But the Coyotes are bringing back that deserty Kachina look full time this year. So, yeah, and they shouldn't. Gone are the Shane Doan-looking days. I disagree with you on both of those fronts. That's hilarious. But uh, well, see, because of... I'm from a, now that I'm getting older, I take no joy in anything, Brendan. I see. <laughs> 
right, so at what point should I expect that to kick in? I just turned 27 on Monday, so I got a few years. Oh, you got before yeah, that. you're 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 Perfect. fine for you're fine for a while. Don't worry about it. Wait, okay. wait, 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 it was your birthday on Monday? Yeah. Did I wish you a happy birthday? I don't think so, actually. Oh, well, I apologize for missing that. Happy <laughs> yeah, birthday. That's yeah, all right. Thanks, man. It was a, it was a good time. The girlfriend's family treated me great, and uh, I didn't end up watching any election coverage. So, you know, it was kind did of a, they, a win-win did they buy, in that sense. Did they prepare you a canned ham? They prepared me you, a, a full-on AAA Alberta steak. <laughs> Oh, yeah, good. So that's good that's bet. what I enjoyed. Anyway, hockey talk. Okay. Plenty of storylines. Jerseys aside. So jerseys aside, everything in the home jersey last night seemed to go right. It, And we don't want to, you know, exaggerate or hyperbolize because Seattle didn't dress an equal roster to what the Oilers did last night. But... For the for the ten seconds at a time that we saw the first unit power play before it scored, it looks like the cohesion is already there, and to me that should be a warning sign for the rest of the league. But am I overvaluing what I saw on the ice last night, or were you just as impressed? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about Zach Hyman joining that unit. I, I love what Dave Tippett called him after the game. What, what did he call him? He's a, he's a hard, the ultimate worker who's uh, who's a mucker. Something like that, and he didn't necessarily mention the skill, and I think that's important because Connor McDavid needs somebody to retrieve pucks, to get him the puck, you know, to to make smart little plays along the boards to keep plays alive, and I think that's going to be a huge addition from Hyman, and then he can also finish the plays and pass the puck quite sharply himself. I mean, he got the tap in goal. Uh, I, I believe he tried some kind of between-the-legs deflection a few seconds before he took the penalty so he can be a little bit creative. I, I think there's every reason to have high hopes for that line. A, because Connor McDavid is on it, obviously. Yessi Pugliarvi has looked very confident in training camp. He's he's definitely taken, in my mind anyway, some major strides even since the, the first few games in January. He just looks now like he belongs in the NHL. He doesn't look like he's trying to still figure out how to play in the NHL. And maybe you see some flashes along the way, but he's still a player in progress. I, I you know, I really think he's he's come a long way, made some nice passes last night, obviously got a goal on the power play where he will get some time in front of the net uh, based on what Glenn Gullitson said on Inside Sports the other night. And 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 then obviously you, ha- you have McDavid who is still has he reached his peak? I, I don't think he has. I mean, he's going into year seven. He's going into his mid to late 20s. Still a time where uh, I think you can expect a player to be uh, do some pretty incredible things offensively and probably continue to round out his game as a whole. So I, I don't have any uh, I don't have any issue expressing optimism about that Oilers line. I, I don't think uh, I mean, whenever you go into a season, there are always question marks. Even great teams have question marks and some question marks are. Uh, the size of billboards and some are, you know, the size of little little dots on the page. And I think that the question mark over that line would just be a little dot. Pretty confident it's, it's going to perform. Yeah, it really, you know, it looked like a cheat code just in terms of how they play together and their styles of game and the way that it meshed. And you talk about what is the possible next step for Connor McDavid. Well, there was two things that really resonated with me last night. One of them was the angle at which he delivered that pass right through the slot to Hyman, who really just had to have his stick angled properly. And it hit it and went 
went in the net. And and so the vision there, but also the way that he he's able to just contort his body like no other player in the league does to get that pass right on that right trajectory. And the other thing that I saw Reed at the other end of the rink is him going out of his way, McDavid, I'm saying, to finish a check. And when you've got that guy setting that tone in that rink with fans there, you know, I think that that's probably where we're going to see him help raise everybody else's game, just in terms of the energy that that brings. Because for me, that was really the key piece that was missing for him through the, the youthful part of McDavid's career. But I can definitely see a situation in which he, just by virtue of playing that inspired hockey, is dragging his teammates into the fight. And that's the kind of leader that I suspect that he will be long term. Well, I mean, he said it a couple of weeks ago, right? The time is now. We know how old everybody is on the team. Uh, I mean, the way the roster is composed right now or how we expect it to be composed, Bouchard and McLeod are going to be the two youngest players on the team. And by the end of, I can't remember the exact date for one of the birthdays, but by the end of November, they're both going to be 22. So the Oilers are no longer in a mode in which it's okay, well, we're, we're drafting high and we got to plug guys in right away and a third of the roster is going to be 22 or younger and we're hoping someday they're going to be good. Most guys are are entering their primes or are in their prime or have kind of been there, done that, and are hoping to add some wisdom and experience. It's interesting you mentioned the physical element to McDavid's game. We've seen him do it in the past. I, I mean, even going back to that playoff series against San Jose, there were some highlights of him. I, I think there was one where he ran over Joe Pavelski at, at center ice. But I, I think you make a good point when the leaders on the team do do things like that, it kind of pulls everybody else along. And that mentality, well, if Connor and Leon are doing that, I got no excuse not to finish my check or back check or or get in the way of uh, get in the way of a shot. But, but I mean, having said that, I know we're still two weeks away from the start of the season. This should be the Oilers' deepest forward core in, in a while. Even even on paper, I think there's more optimism about this forward group than there was the uh, the 16-17 season. They wound up to have some pretty good storylines led by by Patrick Maroon completely overperforming. I mean, they could have three uh, very good lines where everybody is slotted into an appropriate role. And I think that's that's the key. You don't look at at the Oilers' top nine specifically. I'll kind of leave the fourth line out of it right now because there are still some question marks there and maybe some some potential for uh, some relatively inexperienced players to have to cut their teeth a little bit. But I don't think you look at anybody on the Oilers' top line and say, oh, wow, he is totally miscast. He's been he's being asked to do something he's never done before, not in the NHL, not in the minors, not, not even in junior. And I think that's what happened last year with Kyle Turris. He was asked to be the third-line center. From an offensive standpoint, I thought going into last season that he'd be able to produce points like a third-line center, but you wondered about the checking and the face-offs. Well, unfortunately, none of it gelled for him, and now he's trying to kind of adjust uh, as, as a winger. But, you know, Derek Ryan is being asked to do what he's always done. Fogel's being asked to do what he's always done. You, you know, Cassian, um, you know, even Yamamoto, we'll see if he can if he can pick it up again, but he's he's being asked to be kind of a, uh, a good offensive player, which is a role he's played earlier in his career. So that's, I, I think that's why I would be optimistic about the Oilers four group. Cause we've seen in the past, okay, well you sign a, you know, you sign a third or a fourth liner from another team and or then from Europe you, or from Europe. And then you ask him to be on the Oilers and, and be, you know, on one of the top two lines or, or just play in the NHL. I know you're referring to Nygaard and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Haas and, you know, Haas had some okay moments. As you know, I was kind of 
done with Nygaard as of as of last season after giving him a chance in the first year. So that that's that's the difference. They they don't have anybody where you're saying, oh well, okay, they need him to go from a ten goal scorer to a twenty five goal scorer. They're just kind of asking everybody, be who you are, play play with your strengths, gel with your line mates, and go from there. Uh, chatting with, uh, of course, you know the voice, Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports. Reed, we got a caller on the line. Uh, Chris wants to talk quickly here about McDavid. Before we move on to the defense, Chris, you're on the air with Brendan and Reed. What's uh, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, nothing. Love you guys. Love the Oilers. Uh, I watched that game yesterday, and even the, the game in Calgary uh, for the young kids. It was it was amazing how uh, fluent, uh, how, how they, they, the, the kids looked like they were in midseason form. It, it was, it was great to see. And it's always nice to beat, uh, the flames, but we've been talking and I've been talking about this as long as, as, as I've been talking to Reed, uh, since he took over, uh, inside sports. And we've had this situation since like the fall for hall back in, in 2009, <laughs> 2010, when we never had the players slotted in the right, in the right spot. Like everybody, every player that we had seemed to have been, like a level too high, like a line too high, mm-hmm. and it w- it was never going to work out. And this year, finally, with Holland having cap space, we actually do see that where we have players where they're supposed to be. And when you have players where they're supposed to be, they usually thrive. And uh, we actually have some guys here that might even jump up a little bit. Like I have, like I, I-, I truly believe, and I know it's only two games in, but uh, Lamborghini Perlini, as they call him <laughs> on uh, on Twitter right now, is is looking like a stud and. and- and I, I know, I know, we had uh, what's his face, uh, Ty Ratty, a few yeah. years ago that completely lit up the, the the preseason. But this kid's a little different because he he actually has has produced at the NHL level uh, for the Coyotes a few years ago under mm-hmm. Tippett. So he's got the size, he's got the he's got the wheels, and he's got that shot. He's got a nice shot. So I don't, I know he's probably sl- slotted to be like in in the bottom uh, the bottom uh, the bottom six, uh, either either uh, the fourth line or the. Line, but there is no reason why a player like him and a player like Fogel, who have all the tools, can't jump up, say, to the second line if needed be mm-hmm. or whatnot. And that's what we have. That's the luxury we have. And we have the same thing on in our, our defense, like right now. I know people are complaining about the whole key thing, and it is what it is. But when you look at it purely from a depth perspective, we have the deepest uh, core of defensemen in our system that we've had in a very long time. From Berglund, uh, Broberg, to Bouchard once he makes the leap, leap full-time, to Nima Lyman. Like, I was really impressed with Nima Lyman. The kid is lanky, and he's got a good pass, and, and it's, it's, it's looking good. The only thing we have that question mark, I think, is just, uh, is just goaltending. And mm-hmm. if we can write the goaltending ship, and if we can find a, like a, a prospect or, or a kid to come in to, uh, to hopefully uh, groove as the next guy, we're, we're looking good, so I'm looking forward to the season, and let's go Oilers. Yeah, great stuff, Chris. Yeah. Appreciate Chris you from Phoenix, it, so a passionate fan. I always enjoy when he calls. I, I think I think he made some good points. We talked about the forwards already. I, I think if I want to throw a bigger question mark up there, see, to me, I, I, I I've as I've been saying, I, I get the questions about the goaltending, and, and for me, it's more about Koskinen than Smith. Yeah. Um. But okay, fair enough, because we know that no position in hockey has a greater effect on a team's fortunes than than goaltending. So if there's you know if there's a slight drop off, I think the Oilers will still be a playoff team. If there's a you know if it if it craters, okay, that might be tough. But I I think that I, I think the penalty killing would be a larger question mark for me, and, and goaltending is factored into that, I suppose. Um, and I guess I would say that because we don't know if Josh Archibald is going to play. 
And as, as Dave Tippett explained today, vaccination status aside, there appears to be some other issue going on with Archibald that he needs to get tested for here. And uh, as frustrating as Jujar Kerr could be five on five, he actually became a pretty decent penalty killer the past couple of seasons. And then Larson's not there, and you may be cycling in some new guys who haven't penalty killed for the Oilers before, maybe have penalty killed at other levels or with other teams. So, yeah, I, I think... Probably if, and I know they've had a pretty good PK the last couple of years, I would still have one of the larger question marks there. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm convinced that it's going to be poor or, or really drop off, but, but I think there are enough changes there with the personnel that it, it makes me wonder a little bit till I really see it get going. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, to me, penalty killing specifically is one of those things where the coaching and the deployment and that may have more of an impact than it does on the power play in terms of the systems that you're running. So, And I'm speaking to the fact that they're bringing in pieces with the intention of them being able to contribute on the penalty kill if they're going to play fourth line minutes. So I look at Perlini and I look at Tyler Benson as well, because to me, you know, Shore won 11 of 15 faceoffs last night. Like if that doesn't do enough to at least have him as your 13th forward, you know, Shore has made the team. So so if you're worried about losing Benson and then Perlini's the guy that's that would be flexed down to Bakersfield, theoretically, now that might come down to which one of you guys is a better penalty killer or, or more reliable, I suppose, on the penalty kill. And that's the guy who's going to end up winning this this battle. So, you know, listening to Perlini talk post game, yeah, he scored two goals. But really, I understand that playing for tip. It's all about the little things. It's all about responsibility and that sort of stuff and and whichever one of the younger or role players figures that out better in terms of penalty killing may be the one that ends up securing themselves the roster spot yeah i think so and then as in your reference that could come down to to face-offs or just making the most of your your minutes and winning those battles along the board i thought the others pk did pretty well last night when they were out there seattle had a couple of power plays early Let's, before we let you go, um, we better just glaze over the Elks loss because that was a tough one last night, Reed. It didn't start well. They were down 14 nothing. Battle of rookie quarterbacks out east trying to avenge that season opening loss to Ottawa. Does not come to fruition. They have a tough plane ride back home. I'm sure it was overnight, and and they arrive back in Edmonton. Uh, what a two and five team through eight weeks worth of play. That's not great. Well, really disappointing. I mean, like Ottawa is not good, um, but I mean, the Elks are not good. And, and right now you'd have to say the Elks are worse than Ottawa. Sure, you know, the, the Elks don't have their starter, but Cornelius made some plays and there were a lot of mistakes made again that had nothing to do with the quarterback. Two games in a row, you're not ready to go. I mean, you fall behind Winnipeg 14 nothing, 10 minutes into the game and you lose by 15 and you fall behind Ottawa 14 nothing, five minutes into the game and even worse start and you lose by 10. The special teams are beyond atrocious at this point. And, you know, they can't consistently move the ball, though I know they at least they got to 24 yesterday, and and the defense is is very up and down. It's it's tough to, to feel like there's a playoff spot there for the Elks, given their remaining schedule. And then you wonder the extent to, I mean, I hate to get this far ahead already, but I mean, they're two and five. And it's not just that they're losing too, Brendan. It's how they're losing. Yeah. You know, not not competitive in games, starting poorly, 
you know, massive mistakes. Um, you know, so it already makes me think what are the changes coming in the offseason because it appears there are going to need to be some major ones. You betcha, Reed. We'll keep that monitored uh, on uh, 630 Ched here, and we will have you returning to the airwaves 430 this afternoon with the face-off show. Any guests you can uh, lead us on to? Oh, J.B. Thomas is hopping on tonight. Hey, there you go. Tee up the yeah, Winnipeg Jets from uh, Jets TV, I believe. Or is he actually a... Uh... He's on OB. He's on CGOB. There you go. Jamie Thomas from our sister station in Winnipeg. That's Reed Wilkins from right here on 630 Chad. We'll press pause on Oilers now. Brendan Escott back in a moment. Hi, this is Leon Dreisaitl from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. are looking like that uh, push for a Stanley Cup is becoming rather urgent. It's 12.55 in Edmonton. Brendan S. Scott here with you this afternoon as Bob Cam Moon and the rest of the Oilers team head off to Winnipeg ahead of tonight's showdown. Second half of the back-to-back coverage here on Ched begins at 4.30 with the face-off show. Puck drop just after 6. The Jets are 0-1 thus far on the exhibition season. Let us uh, tell you about the James H. Brown injury report with a minute here. It's brought to you, of course, by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Had a couple buddies in the group text sort of asking this morning where Dylan Holloway has been. He's sidelined through December as he recovers from a second wrist surgery. You know, Dmitry Samarukov is out uh, for the next several weeks with a broken jaw as well. And Josh Archibald uh, working on some sort of cardio conditioning issue will not dress tonight, uh, obviously, for the Oilers. Elsewhere, Blackhawks captain Jonathan Taves returning from chronic immune response syndrome. He's dressing for the first time tonight since August 18th of 2020. Remember, he took all of last year off with what they were just really trying to figure out exactly what was making him feel so lethargic and glad to see that uh, the now veteran Jonathan Taves, seems like just yesterday he was scoring about three, three goals in that shootout against the USA World Juniors 2007. I think that's about right. Couple texts here. 780-496-0063. Texture says, uh, I think Ryan and Fogel will easily replace Archibald and Kara on the penalty kill. The real question mark is how the Oilers are going to replace Larson, who was one of the best penalty killers in the league last season. That's uh, that's a very fair point, and I think that we'll have a little bit clearer of an idea after we see Cody Cece in action for the first time this evening, because Dave Tippett does expect that Cece will, you know, step in and 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 take over some of those hardworking minutes left open by Adam Larson's departure. And by the way, if you missed this yesterday with uh, Sportsnet Spec Mark Spector on the show, he's got the piece out and he had a sit down interview with Adam Larson, delving into exactly why the big Swede chose not to resign in Edmonton and rather to embark on a new opportunity. So you can check that out to sportsnet.ca. But yeah, as far as, as that's not a downgrade on penalty killing. I think Derek Ryan and, and Warren Fogle coming in will easily, uh, I agree with this texter, replace, you know, Kara and, and Josh Archibald. You're not like the, what's going on with New Jersey right now is their starting goaltender or at least half of that duo with Jonathan Bernier, Mackenzie Blackwood is not vaccinated. And so 
that's your starting goaltender versus a penalty killer slash fourth liner slash empty net specialist in Archibald. And and so the Oilers could definitely be in a worse situation with this player. And, you know, we've talked about the depth over the course of this show as well in terms of having guys in-house already able to replace that level of production by Archibald. So it's really going to be up to him whether his future is within this organization or not. Truth be told, I think Colton Sevier, he's looked good, but he hasn't stolen the opportunity away. Uh, I think his track record of being a physical, you know, energy contributor is going to carry him onto a full-time contract if he does end up earning that. Uh, that's... Uh, that's where I'm at with that. Uh, one more here says, uh, hoping that with this team, we won't have to worry about the penalty kill as much because the Oilers will have the puck more. I don't expect this team to take too many penalties per game. I don't really have a lot of guys that I suspect will be serving a lot of time in the penalty box. There's not really the big physical players on this team. There's hard four checkers, but responsible four checkers. And some of the names that we can get into with David Staples, the provincial affairs reporter from the Edmonton Journal, as well as cult of hockey writer. You know him well. You'll hear more from him after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.